Hey, I'm Brett Gornick. I'm Jason Lobig. Welcome to the Live Better Podcast. Best day ever. We are coaches, trainers, retreat leaders, and wellness advisors, but didn't start our careers doing this. Jason worked in public accounting, and I worked in corporate retail until starting our dream business in which we help people from all different industries pursue their best day ever every single day. The goal of this podcast is to interview both each other and other professionals making an impact on the world on how wellness is the fuel to do whatever it is in life you want to do better. This podcast is about teaching people to actively pursue their purpose and how to use self-care to do it. We're here to show you how the best day of our mindset is available to anyone at any time, no matter your circumstance. It's your choice and we're here to encourage you. You can find it anywhere you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and even YouTube. You can also listen to our podcast on www.livebetterco.org. Have the best day ever. Live Better Podcast today is brought to you by our Chicago family Vital Proteins. So Vital Proteins, we've been working with them for years now, and they are the kings of collagen. Um, collagen is a super important building block for soft tissue, and so you guys know that Jason and I are always running around, rock climbing, jumping off things, getting injured, and so one of the biggest helps that we've found to repair our bodies is Vital Protein. So you know me, uh, I am a matcha guy, so I love their matcha latte, uh, which has the collagen in it as well. And then to be honest, I just love their standard basic collagen peptide to add into anything from a smoothie bowl to one of my morning concoction teas. And then lastly, the mother load. What I love the best is the collagen creamer. So I um, do not consume dairy. So their creamer is dairy-free with the collagen in it. So when I make a concoction in the morning, which can be a matcha, which can be a cacao, which can be a turmeric latte, I throw in their collagen creamer, um, blend that baby up, and I have a beautiful morning latte. So today's podcast is brought to you by Vital Proteins. Now let's get into the good stuff. All right, team, Jason and Brett here with B-Jack, Brian Jackson, one of our long-term Nike family members. How you doing today, brother? I'm good, man. Blessed to be here. Yeah, we're super, super excited to, to be in here chatting. Uh, we met B-Jack, man, I'm, five years ago, was that now? <laughs> Day one. Day one um, of our Nike training journey, um, and I remember... Um, popping into the Nike office and being surrounded by people that were way outside of our pay grade <laughs> yeah. at the time. Um, and just, just looking up to so many cool people and being able to, to see um, what, what this industry was. Because when Jason and I first got into it, we were definitely the young guns. Um, and to just see and hear you speak and so many of the other people talk, I just remember that initial meeting being like, oh man, this is, this is something special. So um, we want to dive into everything that, that you've done throughout your amazing career, all the, all the cool things. Um, but let's just start out with how you got into training and why it, why it means something to you. Um, and I think that that will be a good initial point so that we can kind of hear the ethos of everything. Cool, cool. Well, I have a very interesting journey, uh, if I will. Um, no, but... 
it started uh, with me as a professional athlete. So I was playing football. Uh, I was playing arena football at the time. I had about a three-year career. It was short-lived uh, because it was injury-ridden. So in the midst of me playing arena ball, you know, when you transition into pro sports, your training relies heavily upon yourself. You know, nobody's going to force you to do anything. So if you really want to be good, you want to be the best or you want to excel in your sport, you have to put the work in and you have to be self-motivated in order to, you know, reach your goals. So uh, one thing that stuck with me in collegiate football was the process, training. I always wanted to be very good. I always wanted to be top tier and excel amongst uh, my team and, you know, other players in the leagues. So I would always put in the work and I paid attention. You know, if I went to class, I'm always sitting in the front paying attention. Um, it doesn't mean I was, like, overly uh, involved in what's going on in the classes, but I just know if I sit in the front and just pay attention, I'll absorb, you know, the concepts of what's going on. And I took that mentality into sports as well. So, you know, when we got to strength and conditioning, we're in a weight room with our strength coaches, I paid attention. So they're telling us what to do, how to do it, uh, reps, uh, sets, you know, weights, volume, uh, capacity, like all of those things, the intensity, those things, you know, set in with me and I paid attention to what we were doing and why. So with me going to two different universities, I went to Bowling Green State and Indiana State and played football at both schools. I was exposed to two different systems, two different programs. And, you know, I paid attention. So when I was at Bowling Green, it was more mostly about strength, endurance. So we were in the MAC, which is a mid-major conference, but we played big-time D1 schools, um, like powerhouse programs. And we knew we didn't have the biggest, fastest, or strongest athletes, so we just figured we'll beat them with our endurance. So we would just outplay them. We'll be more consistent. And it was all about training for the fourth quarter. And that's when we typically would beat our opponents. When they start to wear down from pounding us all game, that's when we come through, you know, like almost like a Rudy type of vibe. <laughs> Rudy type of vibe, but... Uh, yeah, it was pretty interesting um, doing that. So we did a lot of things to failure. We did a lot of manual resistance training. And it was just, that was my first exposure to real training uh, because we didn't do much in high school. And it was just interesting to me. So when I ended up transferring, it was very coincidental that our new strength coach there at Indiana State, David Mormon, he was all about power lifting, Olympic lifting. You know, so strength power. So I had strength endurance on one end, and then I transferred to a school where it was all about strength power. And that's where I learned Olympic lifting and how to do things and just, you know, how to build my body for power, you know. And I was <laughs> the most in shape I've ever been. I was yeah, like that's 5'11, you. Yeah, 5'11", 5'11", <laughs> about 6% body fat. <laughs> and it was like I was the biggest, fastest, and strongest I've ever been in my career. And it was just like, yo, like, this is, this is where it's at for me. But, you know, in the back of my mind, I still had the knowledge from strength endurance. Um, so, you know, I, I implemented both when it came to training myself post-college, you know. So when I was training myself as a professional athlete, I implemented both things, but it was mostly around that strength power because I wanted to maintain it. I ran a 4.4940 at 226 pounds. Like, that's not very common Free for train. safety. Right, you know, so. And that caught the attention of uh, NFL guys at that time, but I got hurt my senior year, and that just derailed uh, the straight to the NFL path. But um, nonetheless, um, I was training. Like, I did my training. I had to find a gym when I got out of college, and, 
you know, people are like, oh, there's this new gym, Export, on State Street. So I started training there, got a membership there, I trained myself, and in the midst of me training myself, like, the FM there was like, yo, dude, like, do you play, like, a sport or something? Like, you really know what you're doing. I was like, yeah, I play football. It was like, oh. It was like, have you ever thought about, like, being a trainer? And I was like, no, I play football, you know? So, um, you know, uh, two of my friends were trainers at uh, Export on State Street, and they went to high school with me. So they were like, man, you should just do it. It's easy money. Like, you know, you're already here working out. You're spending, like, hours in the gym. You might as well, you know, make a little money on the side. And, you know, if you play played arena ball, if you're familiar with the sport, you make money, but it's not, like, life-changing money. So you want to do something else. Like, most of the guys, even the top-end uh, guys, had, like, salary jobs as well. So I was like, all right, I'll try it out. So uh, they offered me the job. Uh, they said they'll give me 90 days uh, to get my certification. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. And uh, me, I had a Bachelor of Science in Marketing, so I was a business guy. Like, I was not a kinesiology major, exercise science, or anything like that. So I was like, all right, I'll do it. So I went for ACE and got the <clears throat> uh, CPT for ACE. And, um, man, within my first six months of training, like, it was, it was insane for me. Um, like we had competitions like like a weight loss, like a biggest loser type of uh, challenge. And uh, Export at the time was a national company, so they were all all across the U.S. And like I trained the the grand prize winner, and he won like 10k. And it was like, man, like oh, this, I'm wanting something, you know? Did I want to do like weight loss and things like that? Not necessarily, but you know, I was just you know stepping into you know a new realm of you know existence. And with that. You know, like with anything I do, if I'm going to try something new, like I commit to it. You know, I'm going to dive into it, learn as much as I can about it, and just fully commit to the process. Um, and that's just how I am. I, I'm not obsessive necessarily, but I really, you know, commit to whatever my goals are. If I want to do something, I don't want to half-ass it, you know. And um, that's just that just comes from my athlete mindset. And, you know, like one thing led to another. Six months in, I win that challenge. And... You know, I started to gain traction, had a lot of clients. I'm training from, like, 5 a.m. to, like, 8 p.m., like, six days a week, you know, and I'm just killing it. And I'm just, like, the fan favorite. I'm doing photo shoots. Uh, Dave was with me, too, and he had a very similar path. Um, and it it just kind of led to the opportunity with Nike, you know. So I'm maybe a year, year and a half in with uh, Export Fitness as a personal trainer. They get me on board to get uh, certified as a group fitness instructor, also through A's. So I'm teaching classes, and then, boom, Nike comes and says, who are your best trainers? Like, they go to export, who are your best trainers? So they went to all the, I guess, the major gyms that they had and selected trainers, and they said they want to audition trainers for this program called Nike Training Club. It was NTC. We're like, what is this, Nike? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is years ago. This is like, this had to be like 2012 or 2013. So... They took us out to Lincoln Park, and um, we had, like, this experience. And it was like they did all these different tests and all, the, all of these things just to, I guess, assess them in, in their own, assess us in their own way. Um, and after that experience, they gave everyone, like, a callback, like a follow-up call, and I got selected. You know, I was one of the few selected. I think it was maybe, like, 30 people at the time that got selected. And if you got selected, you could teach NTC classes, like live classes, and the only place that you can do that at the time was at Export. So it was kind of cool. It was like some groundbreaking thing. So um, I had, I think, maybe one or two classes a week. 
Um, and it was just, it was a phenomenal feeling. And then in the midst of that happening, they built the NTC studio. Uh, but we were having classes like at Export, then we have classes at the Nike Chicago store. Like just right there on the floor, like in front of in front of everybody. It was actually pretty interesting. They would just clear out all the racks, and we would just be people shopping and just walking by, seeing people sweating, you know. And that was should cool. do that more often, right? Right. And uh, then we transitioned to the studio and had the classes there. And then came the things like Train Chicago and Get Out Here Challenge and all these super um, super high uh, high production training experiences and. I mean, those were some of the best times. You know, I wish Nike, if they're listening, we get back to that. You know, you got amazing trainers here that are willing to, you know, put on some of the best experiences. But um, yeah, that's that's basically, you know, a very quick and um, easy transition of how things kind of materialize for me. And with the, uh, you know, anytime you associate a brand like Nike, which is a household name, with what you do, you know, it adds validity. You know, it adds credibility and people can connect with it if you love nike that doesn't automatically mean you're going to love Jack or brett or jason it just means that you're probably it's more likely that you would you know yeah. just because you know of that association and that's something that i knew from having a marketing degree like you know if you can connect with major brands that people love and you know have you know rapport with then if you can connect if you can connect yourself with it then you can obviously benefit from it, you know, and add validity to whatever ideas or things that you have going on. And, you know, that, the association and the, you know, the the contracts as a Nike trainer enabled me to actually execute a lot of my personal ideas and dreams, you know. Um, am I dependent on Nike? No, by no means. But it does, it's, it's, it just sets you apart. And you guys know that, you know, like, you've had your pre-Nike life and you have your current Nike life. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. You know, Nike does make things a little better. Um, you know, just being able to say that you represent a brand like that with training. Because if you think Nike, you think some of the best athletes in the world. And, you know, if you're a performance trainer, it's just like, wow. You know, and that's why, you know, you see a lot of people reaching out like, man, how do you become a Nike trainer? That's the coolest thing ever. I want to do it. I mean, I wish there was a clear-cut answer for you <laughs> yeah. guys, but there's, there's not, man. Just keep being yourself and working hard, and, you know, if you have a good product, you will be noticed. You know, you don't need a brand to, to, to validate what you do or, you know, add credibility to what you do. You don't need it, but it does help, you know, so if you can get it, great. If not, you're, like, as an individual, any person is capable of, you know, accomplishing whatever they desire. They just have to put their mind to it. And if you set your mind on, you know, Nike, like, usually if you put intent towards things with your thoughts, you gravitate towards it, you know, so, hey. (laughs) (laughs) What, uh, when you started at Export, I'm sure you trained anyone and everyone, Mm -hmm. but who is your, like, ideal client? Like, who are you training now? Um, and how are you sort of like building B-Jack as like, this is your brand away from Nike, away from export. This is like my brand as a trainer. Who are your like clients now? And how are you sort of like building that into the future? Before we started recording, we talked a little bit about your long-term vision for building like potentially like a community gym. Um, but what does that like long-term future for you look like, at least in the way you're thinking about it? Um, 
and, and how you kind of train like the clients you have now because you work with athletes a bunch, you work with some kids um, that definitely have bright futures. Like what does that look like as you move towards the future? Okay, I'll start by addressing um, my ideal client. Um, my ideal client is based more on qualities as an individual. What are your qualities? Like what do you value? What matters to you as opposed to what you do? Like I don't necessarily need an athlete I don't need, you know, like a soccer mom. I don't need, you know, your weekend warrior. It's not a certain type of client that I prefer. I just only want to train people that are serious about the process, people that want to learn. If you don't want to learn, I'm not your trainer because I'm going to teach you. And if you don't want to learn, there's going to be a disconnect, you know. So if you want to learn, if you're willing to work, and you're willing to take your time and actually take each step you know that you need to make in order to reach your goals you have to take each step you don't skip steps you know you don't get caught up in you know the glitz and glam of training you do what you need to do in order to build you know build your foundation you know build you know it's the simple things and that's how I always start it doesn't matter you can be LeBron James I'm going to do an assessment on you and I'm going to make sure you can do the bare minimal things that I want to see in terms of movement quality and if you don't express those things we, we got work to do you know and that's that's what it is you know Assess, correct, reassess. You know, like that's those are the simple steps. Assess, correct, and reassess. So, uh, in terms of my brand and what I want to be remembered for or known for, um, it's about empowering people to get the best out of themselves. You know, and performance. When people think performance and they see me or see Instagram, they always just thinking athletes and some intense things. Um, Partially, that's my fault because that's what I put out there. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm more capable. I'm, I'm capable of way more than just training athletes, you know. I, I want to empower people to do things that they never thought were possible with their bodies, with their minds, and just show them how taking care of their bodies and their minds can increase the quality of life in other areas. You know, it can increase the quality of life in their relationship and, you know, their career, you know, and their family dynamic, you know, you're doing things that are going to, you know, increase the quality of life for you, um, which will have an impact on others that you care about. And that's what the goal is, spreading the message, spreading awareness, and letting people know that there is a better way, you know, there is something to look forward to. If you're battling with stress, hey, fitness might be the answer. Will it be necessarily? Can't guarantee that, but we know it will help, you know, it's a way to release stress, it's a way to basically balance or, you know, help to balance your hormones, you know, and keep you more stable and consistent as an individual. It's so many things that come with training, you know, so many benefits. And I'll also say with sports and being, like, in team atmospheres, you know, and I just want people to realize, like, you know, if you come together, you may have never played a sport, but you, if you come work out with me and you come to, like, a group class or something like that or maybe even a boot camp, you'll see how... It's like a team atmosphere. We're encouraging each other. We're doing things as a unit. And you get that, that experience and you see what it's like, you know, to basically engage with others towards a common goal. And my experience as an athlete, I always got more output when my peers were around me, my teammates, you know. So if I'm working out by myself 5 a.m. with the coach or something like that, yes, I'm going to go hard, but am I going to go as hard as I would if I had, you know, a friend or, you know, a teammate going through the same struggle with me? Probably not, you know, so I, I love like that group atmosphere and I like to do that even if I'm working with individual clients, 
you know, sometimes I throw them in with another person just so they can see someone else's work ethic, you know, see someone else move, and they'll realize, like, oh, I'm not moving like that. I need to do this. Or they can realize, you know, a difference in intensity so they, can, they know, like, hey, like, I might be able to go that hard. Or, you know, they can encourage someone else to try to, you know, get to their level. So um, it's more about the community, like, building the community, and that's where the ultimate goal of having a space where people can come and just be themselves and interact with each other to one, build networks, you know, so, you know, you might have someone that does something that can benefit someone else, you know, just connect people in that capacity. And then also the health, wellness, uh, fitness realm as well. So people can come and get the workout that they want, you know, that's catered towards them and just be a part of a, a greater good or a, a whole that is enabling them to basically express themselves. I, I, I basically want like a Soho house of fitness. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, there's a couple of things, a couple of words that you said, and then a couple of words that I think that describe you based on the way I, I've seen you train and not only the way you work out, but the way that you train people. And you, you mentioned a couple of things like community process. I think a word that I always think about when I think about watching you train somebody is how thoughtful you are with them. Um, and it's very much about that process and understanding where do you think you get that from? Hmm. Well, I think uh, my biggest influence in terms of process is my mother. So my mom taught me at a very, a very early age that, you know, you can't skip steps and expect to get the results that you want. You know, if you skip steps, some, it's not going to, you're not going to basically get that guaranteed output, you know, like it's like if you have a formula, you know, A squared plus B squared equals C squared. If you don't put the B squared in there, it's not going to equal C squared, you know, and that's basically you can't skip, you can't skip steps. And, you know, she always led by example. So she put me in good schools. Um, I went to Skinner and Whitney Young. Those are very, two very um, acclaimed institutions in terms of like uh, elementary school and high school. And they're very diverse. And, you know, um, historically, Chicago is pretty segregated in terms of, like, just neighborhoods. So she put me out there and just basically exposed me to things and, and you know, basically enabled me to do everything that I wanted to do. Put me in sports, uh, had me playing instruments, just exposed me to it. And I kind of gravitated towards um, the things that I just had interest, a natural interest in. And... She always made sure I was on time. I always went to practice, like all of those things. It was she held me accountable, and that's the biggest thing when it comes to the process. Like, do you have self accountability? Can you hold yourself accountable? If you can't, then you know there are coaches that can help you do that. But you have to be able to confront yourself when you don't, you know, meet those expectations, and you have to take those steps. So, um, I would say my mother is probably the biggest uh, influence in terms of where I get that mindset about the process, like teaching, you know, as you go. You know, you don't want to just say, do this point, because they don't learn anything. Will they take the steps and do it? Yeah, but at the end of the day, will they be able to show someone else how to do that? No. They may be able to recall and just say, do it, but do they know why? They're probably not, you know? So um, that, was, that was just huge, being able to bond with my mom and, and her basically just pave the way and tell me, like, you should do this. Did she play football or anything like that? No, of course not. But she enabled me, you know, and just made sure 
you know, like when things weren't going my way, I, I would confide in her, and then she would just say, okay, approach it like this, you know. And those those principles still stick with me, and I will, I will never change that about myself because I feel like knowledge is power, and if we empower each other, it, it just makes, you know, society a better place to be, you know, and operate in because people are doing their part in order to, you know, increase the quality of life for others. You know, one thing you said in there was that your mom exposed you to a lot of different things, and I actually just wrote that down, like exposure to different movement, because I think that, as a, especially as a young athlete, you start to pull things, like from the way you play instruments to the way you listen to your mom talk to you to the way you play sports, like those patterns cross-connect between things that seem totally irrelevant to each other, but it, it lays the groundwork for a learning process, but even more to that, it's just exposure to new experiences. You, I saw recently a picture, an awesome picture of your dad and your beautiful kids. Like, how do you think, how do you think about that now as a father? Like you have two like awesome little kids. How do you think that about that as a dad? And I mean, like watching the world upend the last couple months first with COVID and then with something that's been going on for a long time. But obviously like we've had an insane, like racially tensioned time over the last month. Mm -hmm. How how do you think about like exposing to your ki- exposing that to your kids in a thoughtful way to like give them those same experiences and like teaching them like how are you talking to your kids about that? Yes. How are you teaching your kids the same way your mom might have taught you? Right. So in terms of like the current social climate, um, you know we live in the internet era, so it doesn't matter if you have a three or four year old. You see kids those ages on social media and. If they're not posting content, someone else is posting content of them doing something, you know, and they know how to interact. So it's, it's, it's wise to have that conversation early on because, you know, the, at, the, at the end of the day, the Internet can potentially be a very dark place. And I want my daughter to kind of associate certain experiences with, you know, what can happen, you know. So <laughs> my daughter has an iPhone 11. Did I buy it? No. <laughs> Blame her mother for that. But um, nonetheless, she has an iPhone 11. I probably wouldn't have done that uh, per se, um, but she does. And she's, you know, she's like your typical kid, TikTok and, you know, watching YouTube videos and things like that. And the biggest thing for her, like, I don't want to hide anything. I want her to naturally be herself, you know, because, you know, there were times my mom and dad were awesome, but they were like pastors in church. They were super, like, religious and, like, clear-cut, straight-up-and-down people. So there were some things in my life, like, I was like, I'm not telling them because, like, I'm, I'm going to get in trouble, you know? Um, but, <laughs> like, that's one thing that I learned. And, it, like, I always wish I could have just talked to my parents about certain things I was dealing with, like, if I had interactions, especially, like, things that are racially um, motivated, which I've had plenty of those uh, throughout the course of my life, especially here in Chicago. But, like, I didn't... Like, of course, I would talk to them about it, but I just didn't know if they could relate or understood how I felt about those situations. And I want my children, specifically my daughter, because she's the oldest, to be able to, um, I want her to be able to basically have awareness of, like, what's going on in the world and the realities that are associated. You know, have those hard-to-have conversations, you know, sit down and talk to her about race, you know. She she knows the difference in, in terms of color. She's like, you know, like, I remember like two years ago, she was like four years old, and she was like, daddy, like, you're my daddy, but, you know, like, 
I don't look like you. I look more like mommy in terms of like her color. But she was like, my face looks just like you and things like that. And <laughs> that just shows that they can tell a difference in complexion, which has no bearings on like what their political views would be or, you know, um, or anything like that. But it's just showing like kids know and whatever they experience or whatever they process, you know, that's going to be inside of them. You know, like it, it could be good or bad, but that's just how we like on a very basic uh, level as humans, whatever we intake, whatever we process, whatever we see, whatever images we experience, whatever things that we do, like we process that. And by us processing it, we can either put it at the forefront of our mind or in the back of our mind, but either way, it's still there, you know? So we have to be careful of what we're exposed to. So I just tell my daughter, like things that aren't necessarily society's norms for kids that age, I just tell her to be cautious of that. Like, if she's watching a YouTube video and I hear, like, them say something, I'm like, whoa, 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 like, what are you watching? You know, like, you shouldn't be watching things like that. You know, like, that's for people a little older, you know. And just not necessarily discouraging her from actually, you know, processing that material, but just letting her know, like, you know, I don't want her to feel bad because then she will still do it and try to hide it from me. But I want her, whatever she's doing, to feel comfortable in being her true, authentic self. You know, like there is no, you don't get in trouble. You might make a mistake, which is fine. That's what life is about. But you're not going to get in trouble for it. Like we're going to learn from this and try to avoid it in the future. Um, and that's just my biggest thing. I don't want to sound like I'm just, you know, um, a softy when it comes to being a father. But, you know, that is daddy's little girl. And the same with my son. Like no matter how many mistakes he makes, he's only three. Like, I don't reprimand him. I don't spank him. I don't do anything like that. It's more about just having that conversation with him. Like, is he talking back? No. <laughs> but I'm still going to tell him just so he's used to hearing and then he can process it. You know, it's just another form of communication. The same way you would read to a child or something like that. It's the same effect. So um, that's the biggest thing for me, just having a conversation early on, being transparent, letting them know, you know, opinion versus, like, real authentic facts and, and things like that, you know, and just making them feel comfortable to be themselves and, and take on life in their own way, you know. I don't want them to feel pressured to live up to my own personal standards because, you know, those are things that are constantly changing and things that are normal for us are not going to be normal for our children. Like, they're coming up in a different time. When I was in high school, if you had a cell phone, you can get suspended from school. <laughs> like, fucking on TikTok and kindergarten. And that's just the reality of it, you know? So I just want my kids to feel like they can just be themselves, and that's the most important thing. And when they need my input, I'm here for them, you know? And as a parent, I'm going to do my duty, but I'm not going to force them into anything. And that's the biggest thing. When you force a child to do something, they naturally gravitate away from it, you know? And children they have choices you know obviously they don't have legal choices but they have choices they can choose you know what colors they like what they want to wear you know there's no if you want to wear a dress skirt you want to wear pajamas out to the grocery store like they have choices whether or not you allow that that's on you but i like them to get familiar with making choices and understanding the consequences of the choices that they make earlier rather than later you know because you know you get to a point where you might protect them so much that they don't realize that there's consequences for their actions. And you see that a lot, like kids making huge mistakes. Like some kid has a, a great, you know, upbringing, no history of any terrible things. And then all of a sudden, you know, like 
they're a mass shooter at a high school or something like that. And it's like, what do we miss, you know? And I just don't want that. I want, like, if, if, if someone is having those thoughts, if my child's having thoughts like that, hey, tell them to me. I'm not going to make you feel like you're, you know, less than, you know, a human, you know, for having some bad thoughts. We all have bad thoughts at some point, you know, and you need to be able to just confront those thoughts and address them accordingly. When you bring that thought process to a young athlete, because you train a lot of young athletes, and I, Jason and I had this conversation a lot about when we were brought up working out and training for sports, it was, you know, it, was, it wasn't this thoughtful, right? It was like run sprints till you puke. And yeah, I like to be a like <laughs> Yeah, my, I remember my high school basketball, like the goal of weightlifting was who could bench the most, which is like, <laughs> it was who could bench them. It was the biggest day in the gym for basketball. Who could bench the most weight? And I'm looking back being like, I haven't hit a bench press in like three years. <laughs> and my, everything about me as an athlete has gone better. How do you, and, and I think this is, this is a two pronged question. It's like, how do you instill that thoughtfulness and that process to a young athlete? And due to the current climate of social media, when they're watching a guy do, you know, a crazy box jump and do a cling and all these sorts of crazy shit, how do you say, hey, we're going to work on if your big toes work properly, you can grip the ground with your feet because that is the fundamental that that dude that's 30 that's doing this stuff did. How do you instill that thoughtfulness at a young age? Because, you know, at a young age, you just want to run around and do crazy stuff and combating what we're seeing um, what training in quotes looks like? Um, I mean, it's very tricky. So there's no clear cut way to address that. So what I typically do is, I mean, at a very fundamental level, children, especially like younger children, youth athletes, they're constantly growing. They're constantly, you know, maturing and evolving, you know, their bodies are their brains, everything, you know, so you got to keep that in mind. So I try to keep things uh, basic in terms of movement. So I want to expose them, uh, like high exposure to different movements, different positions, different body positions, have them doing things. And it's less uh, about how well they do it, but it's more about just exposing them to it, all right? Um, you know, you don't want to overcoach kids, like having them like, oh, you know, you got to be like, you know, chest forward, shoulders back, you know, knees over toes, you know, like 290 degree angles. You don't have to get that intense with it, but you just want to introduce them to being in those positions because, you know, if you spend a lot of time doing that, the kid is going to grow. And that same movement for them is going to be, like, they're going to have to relearn it. So why waste time? You want to just expose them to different things, expose them to, um, like, different movement patterns and sequences and trying to get them to have awareness of their body in space, you know, be aware of, you know, like the fact that they can, you know, do certain things with their body without necessarily, you know, having to look and focus on it, you know, and just trying to have that type of coordination. Uh, those are the things that you want to introduce early on with uh, youth athletes. And in terms of the mindset and con or overcoming, you know, the social media pressures, um, I mix in some fun with you know, the technical things, all right? So I like to, you know, if they see guys doing box jumps and doing things, I give them their own variation of those types of things as long as it's not anything that will compromise what we're there for, you know? So you still got to make it fun. Like, yeah. kids want to run out, run out, they're going to have a lot of energy. Uh, like, when I'm at Station 23, I'll do, like, 30 to 40 minutes of performance, and then they'll go play ball after, you know? And, like, hey, that's perfect. Yeah. Play ball. Like, you know, what kid doesn't want to do that? So... 
Um, it's just about being very creative, you know, having them do some competitive things at the end or some team things that just have them interacting with each other and basically, you know, putting all of the things that we worked on earlier on in that session into fruition, you know, like if we're working on, you know, lateral movement or something like that, you know, coming up with a fun game or a fun challenge for them to express that movement quality. So that's the biggest thing. You know, you have to be creative. There's always going to be that pressure, and that even goes to, like, pro athletes. I get pro athletes that send me, you know, they forward me things of other athletes doing drills and doing things, and I'm just like, all right, like, okay, I don't want to disrespect you in terms of, you know, you being interested in that and liking it, but, like, that doesn't make sense for you, you know? Like, sometimes it does. And it's like, okay, I can I can incorporate this. I can see where it'll fit into our program. And sometimes it's like, dude, like, come on, man. Like, I get it. Like, you're an athlete, but you get paid to do a certain job. And you don't want to compromise that doing some stuff that you saw on Instagram because it got a lot of likes. So, um, you know, like, I keep that same mentality even to the pros, you know, to guys that are paying a ton of money, you know, for training. It's the same concept, you know, and that's another, that adds another level of um, authenticity to my training. You know, like when I tell these youth athletes, like I'm training you the same way. Yeah. You're not doing the same thing or the same weights, but I'm training you the same way that I do these pro athletes. You're getting this early on. When I was a kid your age, this wasn't available. You know, there were guys out there training kids, but what I'm giving you guys, nobody was training kids like they train athletes. And, like, don't get it confused. I'm not saying, like, I have them doing power cleans and things like that, but they're going through the same protocols, learning about their bodies and, and going through, like, the same systems that the pros go through. But it's just tailored to, you know, what they need. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I think it just, it's really interesting, like, too, you get this constant learning process from, like, you starting, you coming up as an athlete, you going through injuries. We can talk about that forever. Uh, going back to teaching kids all the way back up to pros, you kind of have this like constant cycle of things. Um, what are some of your like personal goals, like your own personal physical goals? Because I mean, like for me, coming from an athletic background, like I'm always working on random shit and I always love doing it. I know you had an Achilles injury, a calf injury last year. Like, what does that look like for you amidst this? How are you thinking about like taking care of yourself? How are you thinking about your mental health um, as you take care of so many other people? I like to ask trainers and other like practitioners in the health space because I think it's really important to be working on things for yourself and, and taking those same lessons and like applying them to your kids. You're like, don't do what I did. Don't don't do this or or do this because this does work. What do you th- what are you working on yourself um, and how do you think about like taking care of your own physical and mental health? I say the number one thing is the mental health aspect you know when you dedicate your life to servicing others and, and making sure that they get the best out of themselves it's it's not very hard to overlook yourself or you know put yourself on the back burner and I know so many trainers that do that like they can relate to that because that's I mean that that's almost the job you know and it's either you're on one end of the spectrum where you're all service over service and you just basically give yourself up to your clients and then there are some that have very minimal clients and you know they're focused like it's all about training themselves you know and I am starting to transition more into the training myself and spending less time with clients less face time with clients not that I want to but 
you know, I'm just, I'm getting older. You know, I'm 34. <laughs> you might have to edit Don't that tell. Out. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's more about, you know, as you get older, it's more about taking care of yourself. And the mental health aspect that goes along with that is at the forefront for me. Like, just taking time to do what I need and really putting a lot of intention towards, um, you know, like making sure that I'm doing what's best for myself especially mentally. Physically, I think I'll be fine because, like, just being active and moving around, that's just a part of me. But mentally, you know, like, the things that are outside of, like, training and the industry, the things outside of that, just life things, you know, having kids, relationships, you know, the ups and downs of, you know, that every every other human goes through, you know. Like, we have the same emotions. We go through every emotion just like anyone else, you know, just because, you know, we... You know, we show up and we're there for you all the time doesn't mean that we don't have issues of our own. And we said we have to wear many hats. You know, we can be severely depressed and still show up for a client and you not even know. But we have to internalize that and put that smile on, you know. And, and that's, you know, that's just the nature of the business. And, you know, really taking the time to focus and put a lot of intention towards myself, my goals, and just my own happiness is at the forefront for me. Um, and <clears throat> to go along with that, I'll say that it's just, it's, you know, like people, people deserve that. You deserve it, but it's just hard. And you really have to take time. This whole COVID situation really gave me the time I needed to sit and self-reflect and self-assess. And I got to break myself down and see, like, you know, what was I lacking? You know, I, I basically put myself through the same assessment that I would an athlete, like a new client or anything like that, you know, just, and I did it for myself and I just realized like, man, I haven't sat down and, and, and applied, you know, the full spectrum of services that I offer to others to myself in a very long time. And I had the time to do it. And it was one of the best and most fulfilling moments of my life, you know, um, especially in recent years. And it basically like, I, I find myself reinvigorated, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm ready, you know, I'm focused and I'm so motivated right now. And in terms of the physicalities, um, the physical aspect of everything, um, I was always big on like testing and like combine type things. And uh, one of my friends, um, his name is Chris, but we've been talking about having like a trainer combine or a fitness combine. All right. So if you're out there and, and this happens after this has been... <laughs> Uh, published and I, I'm gonna come find you. <laughs> but um, nonetheless, uh, that's something I want to do. So, like all the things that you train these athletes for, like I feel like people would train and do that almost kind of like a, a CrossFit Games type of feel. But instead of like it being that approach, it's like, hey, like there's powerlifting, there's vertical jump, there's you know the pro agility, the five ten five, like things like that, like yeah. all these things that they use for pro sports, you know and creating a platform for people like it could be trainers it can just be weekend warriors it can be athletes too like if they just want to know where they're at like high school athletes you know just coming together and basically going through like a fitness combine yeah or a training combine performance combine whatever you want to call it and um i would do that that's, yeah that's, you're getting me hyped <laughs> that's, that's like that's the tri type of training that i want for myself when it comes yeah. to that so I, of course i got the mindset aspect but when it comes to the physicality and the physical, like, training, I want to basically be able to suppress or test my training. And not, like, just testing, like, what is your bench? Like, 
like people getting hyped up, you throwing your nice little outfits on, you know, all of those things. Like, like we're excited. Like, hey man, it's time for the combine. You ready? Like, what you gonna run? You gonna run a four four forty? Like things like that, you know. And I think it'll be a good way and for to it'll it'll be a good way to measure your training programs. Like, is this working? And then from the sports science aspect, those numbers will help. Like if you get those numbers from the combine, you got a 39-year-old guy running a 4-3-40, what are you doing for training? You know, like, wow. You know, like you can do that and then it, it will make teams and sports rethink, you know, how they harvest or farm their athletes. Yeah. You know, like if you got a guy like, you know, 39 years old, I'm not 39, but if you do have a guy that's 39 and he has all these numbers that are off the trust that are beating guys that are currently in your sport and injury history is minimal, like, things like that, it's like, why not give this guy a chance, you know, like, clearly he's fit to do it, you know, yeah. like, and it, it just seems like that, you never know what opportunities can come from it, and it's just a feel-good moment for people, just, you know, PRs, personal best, things like that, just knowing, like, you know, I want to get faster, like, people have these specific goals, let's create an atmosphere where it's not, like, just a part of training where you get tested, like, it's real, like, Comp- like it's competitive it's a lot of people that want that you know and we're getting to a time where fitness is turning into a competitive sport it so. is mm-hmm. i got high i did uh the high rocks competition this year which is like a bunch of thousand meter repeats with like eight things in the middle of it you have crossfit blowing up you got any number of like outdoor races and stuff like that people would love that I would love that because that's kind of how we train. Yeah. I just like make up a bunch of random shit, hit a golf ball 300 yards. We we're talking with Dave about this. It's like make a random sport decathlon. I want to like mountain bike, surf, snowboard, golf, golf run, just, <laughs> all one, just put it together. But like you want data, like everything is getting tracked. But the thing that's getting tracked is more like they're like internal biomarkers. They're not performance indicators mm-hmm. and the performance indicators that people are getting are more like strictly running based you have heart rate variability but like that doesn't necessarily translate over into your like 5105 right. it doesn't translate over into your vertical jump exactly. like and there there aren't everyday metrics for that like you can't set that up on your own without really knowing what you're doing but there's a massive population of people who would love that yeah. well i mean post covid I mean, it's not a it's not a hard uh, concept to make a reality, and then I feel like it would give those train Chicago vibes again. Totally, yeah. you know? we, need those we can back. even we need offer those. like programs like, hey, you train for these things. Like, if you want to join the training program, yeah, you train for you have your baseline measures, and then when it's time to go, we go. Yeah, we go. yeah. Um, yeah so I'm pretty sure somebody's gonna steal that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put you on the trademark. <laughs> Um, well, we love to ask everybody that, that's been on the show, our motto is to have the best day ever. And so if you could wake up tomorrow and we'll say there's no COVID, there's nothing, you can be anywhere, you can do anything, what does BJAC's best day ever look like? Uh, best day ever, man, I'm not going to lie. I am going to some warm climate with white sand, clear water, <laughs> and just enjoying life. Like that, that would be my best day ever. I can't say a specific place, maybe Turks and Caicos, I don't know. Um, but just a nice climate and just relax, uh, spend time with my kids and just be carefree for, for a day, especially, you know, considering what we've been doing. Yeah, yeah. You know, I just need that freedom. I haven't been able to travel, haven't been able to do anything that's very therapeutic in that capacity. So um, that would be my best day ever. Wake up, hop on that plane with my kids, go to some warm, peaceful, beautiful uh, climate 
and just enjoy each other. Not, no specific agenda, just, yeah. just hanging out. That's great. That would be the best day ever. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. <laughs> If you could leave uh, our viewers with any final thought, whether it's advice, this could be training life. You talked about the mental side of it, kids. What, what would you? What do you want to leave them with? Uh, I would say, believe in yourself. I know that sounds very cliche, but you'll be surprised what the mind is capable of if you really have some type of intention or some some specific goal. Commit to it believe in it, write it down, talk about it, think about it, and just, like, live and breathe it, you know? And I assure you, over time, that that dream will start to manifest itself in some capacity. It's up to you to nurture it, but the signs are always there. The universe will speak to you, and, you know, you just have to really, really, really commit to believing in yourself because you have everything that you need, all the tools that you need to pursue your dreams and be the best you that you want to be are right there you just have to harvest it you have to really 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 buy in awesome well Love thanks it, so much B-Jack it was great to chat and uh, have the best day ever awesome <laughs> boom thanks dude sweet bada bing bada boom that was great that was awesome